welcome to the Exhaust Notes Podcast. What is good, everyone? Welcome to the Exhaust Notes Podcast, where we talk about Formula One and all of the antics that go along with the wonderful sport that we love. My name is Nick Ingvall. I'm with my guys, Rowett and Todd. It's been a little while since we've recorded. Life, you know, life happens. Life happened to all of us over the past few weeks, but we're back. I'd say better than ever, but I don't know if the sport has improved in any ways in the past three to four weeks. So, um, but we're going to get into all of that, get into all these like crazy things that have happened and uh, try to make something interesting out of a really boring race this week, I guess. But first, what's good guys? How are you guys doing? I don't know why you're talking about it's boring. Did, did you not see number three? <laughs> Honey Badger, Sir Daniel Joseph Ricardo, charging, charging, not only through, literally physically through Yuki Tsunoda, but then the rest of the field. Not the rest. I feel like it was a Sh- uh, Shao Sung moment where he took Yuki Tsunoda's soul <laughs> and that's all he needed. That was the fuel he needed to kind of get his shit together because as you're kind of watching the commentary in real time, even the commentator's like, what What happened? Where has this been? And I think to a point you're probably going to make in the future, Todd, everybody was also kind of taken back by the severe punishment that he got because, yeah, we've all kind of seen crashes and we have kind of this internal metric that i think we would all say yeah that's a five second penalty they gave him the full 10 and that would be the number i would give him to describe his performance today because he drove like a man possessed like where has this been we can't give him a 10 right he literally drove into the side of yuki like are they accounting for the fact that yuki is maybe built like a 14 year old skateboarder in middle school like is that why they gave him an extra five seconds because they couldn't comprehend that yuki is a man even though he looks like a boy (laughs) <laughs> I'm not sure if the Australian and Japanese relations are going to be going well after this, but we'll see. Nick, how are you? What did you think of the race? Yes. I mean, I kind of already alluded to it. I just, I feel like it was pretty boring. I feel like it's all processional at this point. And yeah, I, I, I guess like I'm, I don't have enough of a competitive spirit to, really relate at this point either because if i'm red bull and i've already secured the constructors and if i already and max has already secured the drivers championship why not like make sure checo gets a win in his home race it's only something one of us has been saying all along like hey yes it's a diplomatic move but sometimes the best wars are won with a source of diplomacy and he will remember this because at the end of the day, I think there will be a point in the Checo mindset of like, I'm just tired of not being able to race. And granted, Red Bull threw him a lifeline last year as documented by Drive to Survive. But even after this, I'm wondering, is this good enough for Sergio? Whoa. To both of you. Come on. You're better than that. Uh, well, Sergio... Sergio has to be on the front row for that to happen, right? He does. He can't be finishing like 20 seconds behind Max in the race. And like, what it, what it, was he in qualifying? Three, four? I think he's uh, four. Wasn't it four. fourth? So he had two, two Mercedes between him. So unless Max is going to like literally throw it in reverse and run into both of Mercedes off the start, 
then they can't make sure. Yeah, I, mean, gets, I mean, they could the perform better than 24 second pit stops, right? Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can't say that they're singling out Checo because last week that was Max's like 12 second or something. That, no, but I that, honestly that think Red Bull really is about. bored. Like they're doing this now because they are, themselves are curious of like, how much can we set ourselves in the back of the pack and still win this race? And I make the argument that you're right. In hindsight, Checo should have to kind of earn it. But you're telling me the way that this car has run for what feels like the last 40 races, they couldn't have said, you know what, Max, blaze a path. And then Checo, you've got the second fastest car on the grid. Why don't you just get close to Max and we'll give Max the old, hey, it's Mexico. Let's all enjoy nice tequila afterwards. Maybe Terramana with the boys. Maybe we'll get the rock in there for his Instagram. Because if there's one thing that man loves besides his own trapezoids, it's promoting Terramana tequila. <laughs> I didn't even get the reference uh, until you said it. But, I mean, he would have to get past Mercedes for that to happen. So, like, literally unless Max laps the entire field and then gets in front of the Mercedes again to slow him down so that Checo can pass him, I, it's just not going to happen. Why not uh, invoke the Sonoda protocol? But I guess we couldn't do that today because Rico- uh, Daniel Ricardo invoked the Sonoda uh, protocol himself. It does sound like a sci-fi show, like... Yeah, action step. I was gonna say anyway, anyway fetish porn. But let's yeah, let's talk about the race fine. finishers. Class, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, why don't we do the race order? Let's do the race order. Yes, let's do it. We are currently then we'll talk about at- Mexico, and then we'll go back in time. How about that? Oh, perfect. So for the Mexico Grand Prix, here are the finishers. Max Verstappen in his obligatory first place, followed by Lewis Hamilton in second, Sergio Perez in third, George Russell in fourth, Carlos Sainz, Charles Leclerc going back-to-back like Lethal Weapon covers in five and six, Daniel Ricciardo and the impending victory lap conversation that my two guest hosts will have during this podcast came in at seventh. Then the Esteban Bandit, Esteban Ocon in eighth, Lando Norris in ninth, Valtteri Bottas in tenth, Pierre Gasly in eleventh, Alex Albon in twelfth, Guan Yu Zhou in thirteenth, Seb Vettel kind of getting back to the new norm in fourteenth after having really productive back-to-back races, Lance Stroll in fifteenth, Mick Schumacher in sixteenth, Kevin Magnussen in seventeenth, Nicholas Latifi eighteenth. Fernando Alonso getting the umpteenth mechanical failure this year and probably costing himself, I think, upwards of 80 points in the single race because that's how good he was. And yeah. Easily over 100 now. Uh, So that's where we are for the Mexican Grand Prix. Todd, where would you like to start? I mean, we already talked about the the DR thing, but let's talk about the penalty because I want to know your guys' opinion. I think we're talking about this a little bit in pre-show. What do you you guys think because for me it was definitely Danny's fault not 100% Danny's fault and I'm not going to like totally die on the Danny fanboy hill he definitely <clears throat> sent that into the first of those like two back to back corners um, but he had the inside line and didn't appear at least that he was going to like try to run Yuki wide so it wasn't like he drove into Yuki, he was just trying to get a launch out of that second corner. <clears throat> um, but he got a 10 second penalty for it, as we know. But we have evidence in like literally the last two races of collisions that were worse dive bombs, in my opinion, fanboyism aside, that were five second penalties. So it seems like they've been establishing 
this is like kind of the rule of thumb for these type of penalties. And then he gets a 10. Granted, he should he deserved a penalty. I completely agree. But like the FIA is just not doing itself with any favors with this inconsistency. We'll get into more of that later, foreshadowing. Um, what do you guys think? Did, was that a 10 per second penalty? No. I mean, here's the thing. I'm relatively new to the sport. That's what you would call it, exhaust nose bingo for anybody that's playing at home. I think I have an idea of what a normal causing a collision penalty may or may not look like. And more importantly, I know the penalty that comes with it. And I was under the impression that this wasn't anything extraordinarily diabolical. So I thought a five-second penalty would be appropriate and we'd keep racing. Let's just say I was taken back that it was 10 seconds. And I think what further made sure that I felt I was on the right side of history with regards to this discourse was even Crofty and Brundle were kind of talking about the fact that 10 seemed a bit harsh. And we may be joking about Yuki Tsunoda's size. I genuinely can't think of any other reason why they would have tacked on a double major, if you will, for this. Nick, what are you thinking? I mean, yeah, I can't even think of another 10-second penalty from this season, to be honest. Like, can you, were there other... Uh, like the last one that comes to mind is Not actually last. Remember, um, I think it's Saudi Arabia, maybe. It's one of the races under the lights where Max and Lewis kind of got into it going through the corners. And it was, you know, like that's like heat of the moment type battle at the end of that season. Right. But. And Max got 10 seconds, but he didn't even touch Lewis, but it, it could have been really bad, right? Like this accident seemed kind of like, yeah, like Daniel's being super aggressive. Yuki might've cut in a little tiny bit early. Just generally speaking though, I felt like that's kind of how racing happens. You know, like I, th- I wouldn't really even expect like an actual penalty for it. If it, you know, five seconds at most, but I don't know. It, I feel like I feel like we've we've talked about the the penalties in the sport this year a lot too or not not this year but just in general right it doesn't seem to be very consistent but to Todd's point it it felt like we were getting to a point where it was consistent and kind, you could kind of understand that it was like okay it's probably just going to default to 5 seconds unless it's like really really dangerous right cuz like that's always the argument from you know, the FIA is like, well, it was a really dangerous move. Like that, that was the thing that stood out in that. I forget which race it was, but I'm pretty sure it was Saudi Arabia last year where uh, essentially Lewis passed Max, Max, you know, dive bomb. He passed him on the straight Max dive bombs into the corner. Lewis has to avoid him and then goes straight. You know, they, they both kind of go off course in order to survive, but like, you know, you're definitely putting each other in harm's way in that situation. So I, I kind of understand it at that point, but this one didn't seem, it wasn't like crazy high speed. It wasn't, you know, like it, it looked a little dangerous. It, it looked a little bad, I guess in the, because you know, anytime you get that, that wheel up over the other wheel, it always just looks bad at full speed, but you know, it's a relatively slow corner for the rest compared to the rest of the track. Right. So I don't really understand it. I think maybe the other yeah. thing that it's also kind of alluding to is what we've all kind of driven around with regards to this race. It wasn't exciting at all to watch. And maybe this is their way to spice up something because lo and behold, it worked. I think Ricardo probably had the best drive he's had since he won Monza last year. 
and all it took was a mischaracterized penalty. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned Crofty and Brundle talking about on F1. They were joking, like, just give them a 10-second penalty on the grid. Like, start them off a 10-second penalty and then see what happens. Because <clears throat> it was. It was his best drive, at least equal to Monza, if not better, I think. I haven't seen him be – that was, like, more vintage to any Rick. But let's talk about the other – Actually, there was two other incidents in that race, mm-hmm. not to belabor this Danny Rick crash, but there was George and Lewis on the first lap of the race. Um, they had very, very light contact, if any, but that was like the same kind of turn in. And then we had Gasly literally just turn into the side of Stroll. Like he had no chance of making that corner ahead of Stroll. He wasn't even, he was alongside at best and he just turned into him and he got a five second penalty for that. Like I'd granted he didn't take him out of the race or whatever, but they say that it's not the effect. The, uh, the effect doesn't drive the cause or whatever that is. So like it's supposed to not have an effect on the penalty if they are unable to continue or whatever. I don't know. Just inconsistency, and they already switched to one race director. Um, yeah, they, they switched down from two race directors to one to stop the inconsistencies, and now there's just continuing inconsistencies. And he's been in charge for the last three weeks in a row, which we have points, I'm sure, on all of them. No, but I mean, I Any think... other thing? Go for it. Oh, sorry, Ro, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think – the more I think about how the last three races have processed, and this is going to sound idiotic, and I'll be the first to say, yes, it is partially idiotic. Are they just trying to test our loyalty as new fans to be like, okay, if we make this the most bureaucratic into what is probably one of the most forgettable seasons in terms of just overall competitiveness, then we'll see who's really here shooting with us in the gym and who's a Johnny come lately or a Jane come lately. Because that's the only other way I can think about it is just – are they now also having a version of senioritis where, to your point, there's nothing left to fight for? Like, what's the most compelling storyline right now? If Ferrari is going to choke the lead to Mercedes for second place, is it the 4v5 race between McLaren and Alpine? Because we're just grasping at straws at plot lines here. I want to call your attention back to seasons like... 2017 2018 when lewis was a minute ahead of everybody and there was no overtaking on track really um i feel like this is the first stinker that we've had really all year uh but overall this year's been pretty fantastic whether it be strategy or weather or the actual on-track action like today there was a ton of on-track passing granted the race was boring but it was a ton of on-track passing and a bunch of fighting. And I feel like overall it's just proved its point that the the new rule set is working. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. That's just, just me, I guess. No, I, I feel think like you're we've had absolutely much more right. Seasons. But it's also one of those things that for all the greatness that's come out of this season from a other guy's perspective, I think we're all going to remember this as the completion of the 
how would we call it the ascendancy of Max Verstappen because to the point you've made I think in previous episodes Max hasn't necessarily covered himself in glory in terms of the championships that he's won but then at the same time he may have that ability to write history in the way that favors him because to your point Todd if Max says yeah this was the most dominant we may think of a racer because I think he won his 14th race today but if we're looking at the actual up and down of the grid, it feels very competitive outside of first place. So yeah, maybe you're absolutely right. And I'm being a negative Nancy. I mean, I, I do agree that the, the rest of the racing has been great, right? Like the passing and stuff. I mean, I still think that formula one needs to make the cars smaller. Like it would just be more enjoyable for fans. If the cars were, you know, a third smaller or half the size, just because the reality is like there would be so much more passing and so much more opportunity, even on these tracks that are really kind of just like, you know, uh, you know, processional and, and, you know, basically just a series of parade laps for the fans to ooh and awe over the cars. But I think, you know, to your point about 2017, 2018 with Lewis, you're absolutely right. And this you know, I know I'm thinking about Aaron. He's going to hear this and say, oh, you're just not you're just a Lewis fan, not a Max fan. But like Max has won. I mean, today, right today, he broke the record, right? 14 wins in a season. He's probably going to get another two, one or two out of the last two races. Th- that's never happened before. And I know that we raced a few fewer races, but it always felt like. Like. Vettel was close with Lewis or, or back and forth, you know, like, like he would get a win here and there. I think just having at least the two, the two top drivers trading wins more frequently throughout the season feels differently, even though yes, Lewis was so dominant in those years. And maybe I'm just, you know, remembering it differently, but it also is really tough for, for, I think the part that I dislike about this season, the most is that it's so many new fans that are probably going to be pretty bored with formula one, you know, and, and like, you know, like the car guy in me is like, let them leave. Right. But then like the fan in me and the marketer in me and my profession is like, Hey, you need this to be good for these new people. You had the best season possibly in the history of motorsports, even last year, like, whether you believe that Lewis won or Max won or whatever. And then you have this like other like bubbling story, this whole season of, you know, that we'll get into a little bit, I'm sure, but like, you know, the, the cost cap stuff with Red Bull and all these things that have kind of kept that in the mind of the fans. But now you're still like showing up for the races and, you know, like there was a lot of stuff that happened in the midfield, but like, none of it really matters. You know, it's like, it just, it doesn't, it's not going to make, it's not going to change anybody's opinion of the sport. It's not going to bring new people on. There's no, you know, when you have four or five races left in the season and there's nothing to be decided other than, you know, second or third place, it just, you know, it's, it's not, it's not the best for the sport, but that's also just racing. So I think one thing for me, as we've kind of been charting the ascendancy of the sport itself, we talked about um, Max's ascendancy. 
I've always been fascinated with what is the shelf life of Formula One as a viable content provider in terms of not only to the fans, but the fair weather fans, because there is something to be said about if you even show an inkling of interest in this sport right now, I think you win yourself a new friend or you win yourself a new colleague just because of the fact that it is the it sport in this moment that's kind of risen from a niche sport to one that is, let's say, competing with hockey. And I wouldn't say baseball because obviously baseball is in the World Series right now and baseball at its best is when it's at its most dramatic when there's a limited number of games. But I always kind of look at Formula One's ascendancy to how I kind of viewed the World Series of Poker in the mid-2000s, right? And the reason why the World Series of Poker became so popular was the fact that you had this exciting tournament that I think Chris Moneymaker, if I remember my poker trivia, he won this exclusive event out of nowhere as a relative unknown. And then just overnight, it felt like this was the biggest, baddest thing in the world. Everybody was having poker nights. All of a sudden, everybody had an account on your favorite online game, gambling system. And everybody had ideas of, okay, this is what it's like to win with this hand versus having the nuts or the flush. Apologies if I'm butchering any of that terminology. And I think a lot of people fancy themselves car people. So there is that natural inclination as well to have a definitive opinion on all things Formula One. But to your point, Nick, I am really interested to see how this season gets digested. And one thing that almost always becomes a talking point in our episodes is the fact that I think Netflix has a... I would say a very interesting season ahead of them because ultimately they're going to be the ones that cut how this season will be remembered. And whether we agree with that or not, I think it is going to be that way. And I'm really interested to see what they put on Front Street because as of right now, if we're just looking at how this season has progressed, maybe it's going to be the season of midfield battles because we already know Max is not going to be participating in this show. So maybe they're pivoting and maybe they're taking secret joy in all this because this does seem to be the most competitively midfield dominant season we've had in terms of a narrative going back to one of nick's initial comments i am all for the fairweather fans <laughs> dropping away i i uh anything that will make f1 twitter less toxic is a good thing because it's like i can't even like really go on there much anymore i the amount of psycho people that are on there are it's insane but um i think that's on elon yeah, I, musk's uh, improvement think, list right f1 twitter because <laughs> <laughs> we have the most stable um, person in the world buying yeah. twitter because he's going yeah. to be the change in the world we want to see maybe uh what's the the rival platform parlor true no, that's one that Kanye okay. just made. Kanye West bot where instead of retweets, it's retruths. No, yeah, that's the one that 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 Kanye just Oh, I thought that bought. was. Yeah. No oh, God. Lordy, yeah. okay, we're spinning off <laughs> off the rails here. With I was going down a tangent that I no longer want. To go down. Well, I'm sorry to the sneaker history Discord. I said the K word. Apologies. <laughs> I will take my penance by not speaking for the next ten minutes. <laughs> Uh, please don't do that. We have enough awkward silences. Let's talk. Uh, so Red Bull. Like, I I don't see this season as uninteresting to have. Red Bull dominating so hard. And if Max wins the next two, I think he actually beats Schumacher. Obviously, he's beat him on the count wise, but there's more races in a season now. 
but if he beats him, if he wins the next two, he'll beat him percentage wise also. So that'll like, I mean, add to the fact of his dominance, I think, if that happens. But I, I think I'm kind of, I'm not obviously big Max fan, but like I'm still in awe of his, uh, his dominance this season. Now that we've seen like Mercedes catch up uh, pace wise and Ferrari, dear God, what happened to them today? A minute behind, um, a minute behind the P one. Uh, like I, I'm used to this dominance since I've been watching formula one for so long, we had Schumacher dominating and then, I don't know. The late two thousands were kind of a mixed bag, um, and then it went into Seb dominating, and then it went into Lewis dominating. So this isn't really a thing. It's like whoever builds the best car, but then you have to have the superstar driver that can have control of that best car, and he's taking it to a level that's it's too early to say that it's rivaling Hamilton, obviously just because he's only got two championships now, but like he, it feels like he's on his way to that for sure. And the cost cap be damned. I think we're going to have a Red Bull dominated season next year too. But the simple fact that the closest rival to Red Bull, I think in a consistent fashion, and I'm using that very loosely consistent fashion is Ferrari who, like I just, just said, finished, 58 seconds and 68 seconds behind Max today. I know it was very track specific with their turbo and engine and whatnot, but uh, whatever they're doing over there obviously isn't working because they consist. If it's not the pit wall letting them down with the strategy, it's their pit stops <clears throat> or it's their. The Who would have thought trying stops. to put a wheel on it 45 degrees is a bad idea. Nicholas Engvall, you'd be nice. If you're not going to say anything nice, you should take a 10-minute ban like me and have Todd just pontificate. I mean, I just want to see consistency from Ferrari. I just, I mean, they're they're they've got all the pieces to be a competitive team, but they've screwed it up so many times this year that it's so frustrating. Like, I'm not even like the, a crazy Ferrari fan. I I actually do like Leclerc quite a bit, and, and I like Signs as well, but like it's so difficult to see like the lack of consistency with it when you have basically everything you need to, to win, right? Like we've seen them win on a variety of tracks, you know, we've seen them self-destruct so many times that it's like, well, you know, and I get that like, that's the biggest part of racing is like being able to go out there. You know, that's what makes something like the 24 hour Le Mans so good. It's like, well, yeah, you can be fast, but can you do it for 24 hours straight? Like, that's a completely different animal, you know, like, you know, thinking about street cars. Yeah, there's a bunch of, you know, V8s that, you know, you see on the street that rumble next to you and they can drive for eight seconds down a quarter mile fast as hell, but they're not going to be able to sustain that for a long period of time. And I think it's just a, a different you know, a different beast altogether. But to me, I, I think like with Ferrari, even with, with Mercedes, you know, they've had some just more inconsistencies this year than you would expect from them in the past, you know, and, and, you know, to Todd's point, 
that's years of Lewis dominating, right? I do think that, you know, I mean, it's tough to, it's tough to imagine any type of way that Max is not just king of the hill for the next one, two, three plus seasons, right? Um, I just, I just don't see anybody else miraculously <laughs> changing that. So let me play a thought exercise with the both of you. If at the start of the season, I magically got the results and I gave them to you with no context. And let's say Ferrari holds into second place. Would the two of you have been surprised at that? Do we get to see the point totals? Yeah. Like you get the point totals, but you don't understand how they got the point totals. Yeah. I would, I would be surprised to see Max so far ahead of Charles. He's, is he, actually, he's P2 or is he, is he No, P3 I think Sergio got P2 Sergio. after this race. But I guess let okay. me re- rephrase the question because specifically, if I give you the point totals, I want you to focus on Ferrari's positioning. Would you be surprised at that individual statistic? Not knowing that they screwed the bed and that they have shot themselves out of the on the foot and cost themselves a Fernando Alonso amount of points because of their own ineptitude. Because my yeah, thought I think is, so. my, I mean, my thought is yeah, this: go with it. If we didn't understand the context and we just saw the final point totals, I think all of us would have been like, "Whoa, Ferrari, finally getting your shit together." But then we actually look at the results, and we've lived through this season, and it's one of those things like, "Yeah, you may have got your shit together from a points perspective, but this is as inept as we've seen this organization in a long time." So it's one of those things that they're victims of their own success. I don't know because. The end of last year, like they were, they were like looking like they had the most, you know, positive trajectory of all the teams, uh, uh, you know, obviously not, not thinking about like Lewis and Max at the top battling each other, but that's kind of like the beauty of the sport in a lot of ways and of sports in general, right? Where you have these kind of like top figures that that are always on on camera and then now you have ferrari who can kind of sneak in there and surprise people maybe and i guess like it feels like they had all the right opportunities to to make that happen this year you know but like looking at the point totals it's Mm -hmm. it's i mean it's bananas that max has damn near twice as many points as checo you know like like same thing with first with Charles, right? Like he's so far out in front of all of these guys this year that, you know, I mean, it's, it's in hindsight, 20 years from now, we're going to be like, yeah, we got to watch one of the greatest racers of all time during his time. You know, the same way that we look at Schumacher, the same way that we look at Vettel, the same way we look at Lewis, you know, like he he's going to be up there with those people for decades to come because that's how that's how good he is right now like and you have to have the car you have to have you know i'm i'm resisting saying a a little bit of extra money but like hey you know like money aside like max is coming out to kick people's ass every race like it doesn't matter there is no like you know oh our car is better here our car is worse here there is no like you know, strategy talk there. Like, it's just like, 
go out, get the job done. You know, don't talk to Sky Sports because they question your legitimacy. And you that's what you do. And, you know, I mean, like it's it's not fun for me compared to, you know, the back and forth that we had with last season or compared to some of the middle middle of the field stuff that's been going on this year. I feel like the last few races have been other than Danny Rick, this race, obviously last few races have been a little less exciting and less of the back and forth that we've kind of enjoyed this season. But at the end of the day, man, Max is just, you, you have to just give him props and be like, you know, it is what it is. Cause that's how it was with Schumacher too, man. Like Schumacher, the thing I think that's really interesting though, like you always, and maybe I'm just like glorifying past seasons, but it always felt like the other drivers in the, on the like most dominant team got a couple more wins. Like Checo's had what one win over the last two seasons mm-hmm. or two wins over the last two seasons. And I feel like even Botas had wins with Mercedes, right? I think Checo's had four oh, or five has he? Okay. in the last two seasons. Uh, maybe I'm thinking of it wrong then, but I'll look it up while you two chat. He's, He's definitely had two this year, and I'm pretty sure he won a couple last okay. year. Yeah, in my mind, it felt like he hadn't got any wins. Maybe it's because he didn't get to win his home his home race. By the way, can we just all agree that the best <laughs> part right. of the Mexico Grand Prix is the fan base? The fan ba- like I want every race to have that level of just the fans being so committed to the race. I mean, I know it happens in other places, but I think also because you've got that setup where it's almost like you're driving through a, a, a like literal stage, you know, and like the fans get to see it. And it's like, they're just, you hear it too. The mics are set up differently or something. You actually hear the fans and you don't really hear the fans at most races watching on TV. That is. Yep. And just to clarify on the Checo point since 2020, Checo has won four races he's won in singapore in 2022 he won monaco this year he's won azerbaijan which i think was the famous race where he came in from 20th and he also won secure so four races for checo okay so yeah but i agree with you that the fan base there is awesome and i feel like we would have that if we had a an American driver in a top team that was True. performing because we haven't had the best track record in the last twenty years, we we could have that in Coda or probably not Miami or Las Vegas because that's just going to be rich people. Um, but you you do hear like in Zandvoort, yeah, that yeah. crowd is crazy for for Max, and you hear that at uh, uh, Silverstone for for. Lewis, mostly Lewis, but also Lando a little bit, Georgia. And other, you know, George, whatever. But can I flip that real quick and shout out Sergio Perez? Cause when, and I'm really getting sick of like F1 fans being trash or like the homers being trash. Cause he, when Lewis went up to talk on the microphone and Lewis said like, Oh, wow, this is awkward. Like, uh, it's good to be up here in second again, even though with all the booing, whatever, but they were booing him and, Standing behind Lewis on camera was Sergio and waving his finger at the yeah, crowd like, yep. don't boo. And I know this is jumping off of this race, but like they booed hardcore. They booed Max and Checo in Coda last weekend. 
and I'm just sick of, and they did that at Zanvoort again this year for Lewis. They did it for uh, Max in, in Silverstone. Like they just need to stop. Like maybe we, there's a good segue to get into the cost cap thing from last week, but uh, stop being trash. Like, I mean, I it. think booing is, is, is super corny. It's, it's like, if you can't understand that, like, somebody's going to win one of these races and booing the other drivers when they're out there doing 200 and some odd miles an hour, risking their lives to entertain you, then maybe you should look for another sport. Yeah. That's well said. No, it's, and it goes to the Twitter thing, right? We're living in a very divisive time and everybody has to one up the guy next to them because we all have to prove we're the smartest, most passionate fans. So kudos to Checo. I think he's somebody who, after watching him grind through this season, I've got a newfound request for, uh, respect for him and good on him for being diplomatic because I think he could have handled that a couple different ways. He chose to he chose to handle it in the way that was most respectful to the two guys that beat him. And he continues to be the probably the most likable aspect of Red Bull, if I'm being perfectly honest. Because between the holy trinity of douchebaggery that is Max Verstappen, Christian Horner, and Dr. Helmut Marco, like you need a little bit of a good guy. If for no other reason make the bad guys look even more terrible. <laughs> it makes me feel bad for him too though. Being in that team, like he knows, like he's second fiddle, and he—that's what he signed up for. And I wouldn't go as far as to call them, at least Max, a douchebag, because he's actually earned a little yeah, bit more respect he, from that's me this just season a, with his to, racing. Just his, to get a rise out of our number one Max Verstappen fan. Sorry, Aaron, <laughs> I'm just upset that you've somehow overtaken me in one of the fantasy drafts. But that's what we call a cliffhanger. We have a we have a two two pronged fandom. Shout out Aaron Trav also. Oh, that's true. How could I forget? <laughs> but let you guys want to yep. talk about the cost cap stuff let's do it now i think we belabored that race enough uh so last week it was reported during the u.s grand prix that the well i guess i should say the penalties were reported it had, it had been announced previously that aston martin and red bull broke both broke the cost cap we found out that aston martin was a procedural breach in some fashion and their procedure, which was also a, I guess, overspin in some sense, but they miscategorized tables and chairs and they overspent by hundreds of thousands of dollars. I can't remember the exact figure. Hundreds of thousands of dollars on tables and chairs. That's literally in the penalty report which I thought is the funniest thing ever because I feel like that's our government spending like $28,000 on a toilet seat or whatever the old adage is. Um, I can't believe they were in procedural breach. It's like desks and tables and chairs. That, that was just super funny to me. But the issue that everybody cares about, Red Bull overspent by 1.8-ish million. I don't know. I saw different figures. That was the most consistent one I saw. But they got a 1.4 million rebate from Honda or something. I don't know exactly how that worked, but something about getting money back. They got 1.4 million back, so they only overspent by 400,000. And the penalty 
that was announced was a 10% reduction in wind tunnel time or dev time, whatever you want to call it. And uh, a $7 million fine, not to their cost cap, just a $7 million out-of-pocket fine. So I want to know what you guys' reactions are to that. I mean, it's just good to know that Formula One is uh, and the spending is as complicated and nuanced and gray as, you know, business and taxes and wealth in America. Because, you know, I guess, I guess like I would love to start a Formula One team. So if anybody wants to, you know, provide me a bunch of engines, I'll glad you write you, write you a check for a hundred dollars. If you want to give me a few billion worth of product in rebate form, so it doesn't fall under the cost cap. Oh wait, no, am I reading too much into that? I'm going to, I'm going to let Roa talk. <laughs> nope. I think you're reading just the right amount. Um, I don't know. The vibe I always got from this sport is, Hey, you did something bad. Here's a slap on the wrist. But when it actually comes to when the rubber meets the road, we're not going to do anything to give you any sort of painstaking penalty. The only exception I can think of is the mystery penalty that Ferrari got, which I still don't think any of us will ever figure out. It's essentially the who shot JFK Formula One penalties. But it is what it is. They got the slap on the wrist. I don't think this is going to impact them at all. So to me... It kind of goes back to the topic we were broaching when this first kind of broke. And we're like, okay, if let's say they get the quote unquote death penalty and points are revoked and championships are rescinded, we're going to feel some kind of way about it because how dare they invalidate what was the greatest season. But now they've gone the complete opposite route where I don't think there's any sort of reverberation or ramifications of the punishment that they're getting. So what's to stop them from doing this next year or the year after? Like, are you going to get a strongly worded letter from the Karens of the world with regards to this? I don't know. It's like, I just roll my eyes and I'm like, okay, wake me up when something more divisive and decisive comes out of this. Yeah. I think to your point, it's, it's the, uh, the slap on the wrist, but let's let, let me buy you a drink to make it feel better. Right. It's, you know, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll celebrate the, the lack of punishment with some, some champagne and we'll all, we'll all get through this together. But you know, that's also, part of what makes the sport the sport right like there's like the racing aspect of it but there's also just the just the like ridiculous and gaudiness of it too like that's political satire yeah. i mean it, we've talked about it at length but it's like you can't really i don't know if if we're going to be brutally honest about the sport they shouldn't be racing in a lot of places there shouldn't be a lot of things happening that happen on a regular basis. And yet, you know, it, it is what it is. This is how, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to promote cigarettes to kids, but we're also going to have 30 different companies that are basically owned by cigarette manufacturers as sponsors. We're not going to, you know, we're going to stand as one, but we're also going to go race at places that are clearly not, you know, in any way, aligned with that belief where they consider human rights more a luxury than a necessity is how i would try to put it in terms of the opulence that the sport itself wants you to think yep, it generates exactly so was the penalty too weak or i'm kidding 
What what would you guys have liked to see? Going back to the penalty, like this, I've thought it over a lot, and I initially was like, come down super hard. I don't care what it is. Um, you know, twenty percent reduction in wind tunnel time, and uh, double whatever they spent as a cost cap hit. I thought that was like a fair, a fair punishment, and I still think. The ten percent reduction in in wind tunnel time is not enough, but I'm kind of okay with it. If they would have also given the seven million dollar hit to the cost cap, because that was like way more than what they spent, right? So if they hit them with seven million dollars in in a cost cap hit, then I would have been okay with the ten percent. So, just to clarify, this penalty is based on twenty twenty one. Correct? No, 2020. 2021. Tw- okay. 2021. Last year, yeah. But it's going to get served right. next year. Well, that's a weird part of this. So it goes into effect now, and it's in effect for 12 months. So at the end of whatever that 12-month span is, you know, uh, October-ish, Next year, they'll the penalty will be lifted and they'll be back to whatever spot they have in the championships allotment for winter. I mean, I think it's just impossible to like actually penalize in a meaningful way that is justified, right? Like, wind tunnel time is is you know obviously important to these teams, but if there aren't a lot of changes happening to the car over the next, let's say, year season to season right we're not it's not like imagine if if that penalty was actually served in 2021 when we were driving different cars and you didn't have that with the first launch of the car you know what i mean like red bull has a huge advantage of like not serving that penalty within the the year of it happening and that's an impossible thing for the fia to to get right because you know it doesn't really matter the amount. It matters the timing of it in relation to car changes, right? Because the going from last season's car to new regulations this season is massive. Had they found out, like had this happened at the beginning of, you know, last year or whatever, it's way more impactful on their development of the car than it will be this season to next season. Kind of like what is it twenty twenty five that the new car that we have new another new set of regulations coming? Had they postponed it and said, okay, well, since you took these actions in the last year of a card of a developed car, granted, I'm I'm using that term loosely because obviously changes happen all the time, but like massive change only happens once every four or five years. So if they did that and said, okay, so the year going into the new car. You're, you're going to have this it's penalty. just a question of that's going to affect them way how more does the FIA than it would want a year this that they already have the, the development of if the car. If they're serious about right? this, they have it's to like give this year they're already proven that they built a, a, a death incredible penalty car. type punishment. They don't because have to then really that lets do you much know wind tunnel work what exactly to make sure that it stays the same. I'm not. I'm totally generalizing. I realize that there's still problems with all these cars. There's still ways to improve all these cars. So any of that will you know and can be used, but it's like. You're not starting with a fresh palette of like at a at a penalized point. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, I, I think so. I, that's a really interesting thought going into a new regulation set, then penalize them. But I also don't want to see Red Bull continue to be way out front. Like I'm happy yeah. it's happening now. And Chris, Christian Horner's all in the media um, talking about how, oh, that you know, 10% reduction is going to cost us a quarter of a second to half a second in lap time. That I don't believe to be true. But like on the same, like the flip side of that coin, that $400,000 extra that they spent on catering, like, yeah, okay, if you stack all the chips up and then you add catering, sure. Whatever, like $400,000 towards a new front wing, like could still give you a couple of tenths in yeah. lap time, maybe track specific or not. Like, but I'm happy it's happening now. Like I saw a crazy stat. Because of this penalty, they're going to have like 63% of the total allocation of uh, wind tunnel time. And Williams being in last place is going to have 115%. So like the amount of actual wind tunnel runs they'll get uh, every week is more than double what yeah. Red Bull will have. That's interesting. So like that will like compact the field even if they're still the fastest it's going to compact the field like we saw at the end of the last regulation like the field was the field yeah. spread was pretty close um but it's it is going to have an effect for next year whether or not that puts the other two big teams in contention yet to be seen but like like you just pointed out like none of even Red Bull and their genius brain Adrian Newey like they can't take him out of the equation. So Red Bull is still going to yeah. continue to be, you know, a force. Um, maybe they just take him away, right? They just, okay, Adrian knew we can't work for you for the next year. Could you imagine? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that would be some wild shit. No, but like, I don't know if it'll put them, the other teams into contention, but I do want to see the the field get even more condensed because the racing that we have had the on track the midfield battles that we consistently like focus on if that's the entire field yeah. god that would be epic like if it does bunch them up even like pegs red bull back at least a little bit to where on some tracks we have like a six-way fight like to this weekend was supposed to be that would be yeah that would be amazing just i, I think that the, the the penalty is just it's impossible to do it in a way that makes sense and I think that, you know, it's, I also had a thought when I was like, you know, thinking about it, it's like spending is spending, right? That That's how it should be handled. But like to be like, oh, well, you know, we, we bought some hors d'oeuvres and some, some nice cushions for the chairs. So that was all, it wasn't a thing. Right. But it's like, if you had an actual budget and you ran out of money, you just run out of money, right? Like if you treat it the way normal human beings treat money, it's like you hit your credit card limit, you you drain the bank account, you just don't have the money to spend it, you know? But like, obviously we're not going to do that because it's Formula One. We're talking about spending, you know, we're talking about these these guys spending what tens of millions of dollars every weekend, you know, to just show up basically. So... Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a pretty interesting thing, but I I like that idea. You just gave me a little 
idea. Give them a certain amount of budget. Like, take fucking catering out of it. Like, I don't care if they want to serve caviar at Red Bull and they serve cheeseburgers at Williams, like, or vice versa. Like, just get that out of it. Like, nobody... It it would be, like, a nice work perk to, like, have that there. But, like, I've worked at a startup company before and they gave us lunch every day and I was miserable. And I've worked for this company for 12 years now that I'm at and like, they don't give me lunch every day. I have to go inside my house and cook it. Like it's not that big of a perk. You know what I mean? Like I care if the, the team's winning most of all. So, but give them an allotted budget for each area they can spend on. So you have $5 million to spend on your development for your, your front wing, you have X amount of money to do logistics, like you're getting to each race weekend. So that will prevent them from bringing, you know, literally bringing certain parts to a race. If they can't, they have to like figure out what race they're going to bring what parts to. I don't know. That's a crazy thought and would be impossible to keep track of. Yeah. I think it's just a, I think it's just, it's intentionally a gray area, right? The sport is intentionally, a gray area in my opinion because if you if you really wanted to make it you know if you really wanted to make it equal there's ways that you could do that it would take away from what the sport is for sure right but yeah i don't know i'm just glad i have something to look forward to because apologies my wi-fi dropped me but i can't wait to hear what interesting thing you came up with nick (laughs) because the point i was going to make was this is all in the FIA. If they want this to be a big deal, they have to treat this like a big deal and punish them. And if there isn't any prior precedence for something like this in the past, then they have to be the ones that put on their big boy shoes and their big boy pants and say, no, this is unacceptable. Here's why. So that's all I was going to offer. So apologies about my Wi-Fi dropping. No worries. I'm really glad you brought up prior precedence because I want to go on to that point next. So if, Let's say McLaren spins, overspins next year, or it's Alpine. Like, are are you guys going to have that same energy about penalize the hell out of them? And do they need to, because we already had this kind of first year kind of grace period. It does feel like they got a little bit of a grace period aspect to this, uh, or like slap on the wrist as we talked about, because this is the first year. Do you want to see them continue with this kind of slap on the wrist thing if it's like not a crazy or if it comes out that it's not a crazy overspin like they spent seven million dollars over it was just under the minor infraction or do you want to see uh like them you know cut their nuts off like what what (laughs) i mean i don't want to see that or even think about that at all to be honest but i get what you're saying there um i think that that's an interesting question though because if you you know, if it's, it's like, if they aren't consistent with that, it becomes even more problematic. But now that you know what the precedent is, you might be willing to take that sacrifice. If, if you know that, you know, whatever the minor infraction is 7 million, right? Like using that as the example, if you know that you can get, you're going to exactly what you're going to get for that penalty for spending 7 million over, I mean, why not? If if it's going to result in winning a title or moving up to to make that money back through, you know, whatever bonuses and you know, 
sponsorships and all that other stuff that these teams, you know, you know, use to make money. I mean, it just becomes a calculated thing, right? It's, it's just like other sports, right? Don't, doesn't the NBA and major league baseball do the same thing where it's like, Oh, you're going to be over the cap. Yeah. We'll take that penalty. No problem. Nicholas, thank you. Thank you for that beautiful transition because as you guys were kind of chatting about this, my first thought was, hey, I'm pretty sure the NBA has a luxury tax penalty that's depending on how much you go over the tax. So if you guys can bear with me, I'll just read this. If a team spends between zero to five million over the hard cap, they get fined $1.50 per dollar spent over, and then the maximum penalty they can have is seven and a half. So then the next level is from five to 10 million, 10 to 15 million, 15 to 20 million. And then the final level is 20 million plus. And it's one of those things right now, it just seems that there's a maximum penalty. But if they really want to enforce this, I would say that there has to be a yes and. So get that financial cost, but then take time away from the wind tunnel. If you're a repeat offender, Maybe then there's a precedence to start thinking about removing points, but I'll defer to you two gentlemen as historians of the sport. Has that ever happened where a player or a driver in this case has retroactively lost points because of a infraction that their team has made? Because that's also, once again, going back to that concept of precedence where if there isn't any sort of precedence in the past, how is this going to look? They have. Well, we just saw it in 20... 20 2019 remember oh, yes. the pink mercedes yeah. the infamous racing point mercedes collaboration they lost 40 championship points from that mid-season because of copying whatever it was the rear brake mm-hmm. ducts or something because they literally just stole Mercedes yep. design. It's on the FIA to and then say, okay, just... this is on that same level as copying designs from other teams because they are the ones that are ultimately going to be the judge, jury, and executioner on this. So if they want to pussyfoot around and say, yeah, this is a thing that we're going to enforce, but wink, wink, nudge, nudge, just don't do it again, right? Am I right, boys? All right, we'll see you at the next strip club. Or is it going to be something along the lines of, hey, zero tolerance, this isn't happening, we're taking points away because they have to do this because not only are they looking at it from the perspective of sporting regulation and keeping things at that equal playing field, but they also have to approach it from the perspective of if they succumb to, let's say, what feels like the New York Yankees of Formula One right now in terms of a heavy market spender and you're rewarding them by not punishing them the way you would if they were let's say an Alpine or a McLaren, then that is also going to make your deathbed because people are going to turn away from the sport. Because right now I would make the argument that the most exciting thing about Formula One to American sports fan is they don't know how similar or how different it actually is from the sports that they have their entire lives, like baseball, football, basketball. That begs a question. If it is a repeat offender, right? It is Red Bull next year. They dominate the championship just like they dominated this year. They win the constructors by like double the points. They win. They're, they're over 100 points ahead of, you know, P2, P3, whatever the next team is. Um, do you then want to see them start affecting the, the championship total points? Because personally, I don't. I don't think for this infraction – they should mess with the championship last year because that was like 
the human air. Sorry to take a quote from like toxic F1 Twitter, but like that was the human air championship, right? Like we, we know what happened. Everybody feels some type of way about it, but they didn't follow protocol. <clears throat> it was under no Max, like uh, uh, under no doing of Max's that he won that race. So congrats to him. He deserves to be champion. But if they again, dominate next year, like they have this year with the cap and we, we should find out that they overspend again. Do you guys want to start seeing championships? Uh, not that it would matter, but like they could, it's even if for a minor infraction, they could disqualify them from the championship. I believe. I mean, I wouldn't would want to see, see that? that. I wouldn't want to see somebody's championship taken away, even though, you know, at times it feels like maybe it's human error. Um, but you know, it's like, it's imp- the, the problem with this whole thing is less about the action taken and more about the perception for fans. Right. To me, like the sport doesn't think about the fans enough already. Right. You know, I know that like, you know, we can all be different levels of committed to the sport as a fan, but like, to me, I'd rather see more people interested in it because it gets more people into the sport. It gets, gets more all this stuff turns into you know things that eventually become you know like hybrid systems on on formula one cars and and you know sports cars in general literally moved the entire business of of auto manufacturing because they spent all this money to develop it for racing to see how they could get it to work you know it's been 20 something odd years of of hybrids or shit 30 some odd years of hybrids in racing and 20 something for for the general public to buy you know hybrids and i don't think that like everything translates directly in in a way that consumers care or even need to know about but most of the stuff that happens in the sport does turn into things that we use technologically in in like street cars that you buy from the dealership you know but i think the problem is is like you know maybe just a huge coincidence but hearing that Red Bull spent over the cap and then us talking about how Max is literally almost, you know, twice as many points as his closest competitor. It's hard to, it's hard for an average fan to not connect those dots when they're watching the races. And that's the part that frustrates me because ultimately that's what you need, right? Look, formula one will always have fans like, you know, Todd and I are going to watch Formula One for the rest of our lives until something else comes along and says, Hey, this is a cooler way of doing it. That might may or may never happen with Formula One. Who knows? But like, we're just interested in this stuff regardless, right? It's the other people that come and spend the money on it that allow us to have a podcast, talk to more people in the Discord about it. Like, those are important pieces for it to grow, to, to bring more interest and potentially get us the opportunity to go to races here in the States, like all those things. So it's, it's frustrating for me just to, to not have to, to just have that sitting there, even regardless of, of the punishments and stuff. But I I do think that taking away points, you know, disqualifying a team, all that stuff just sucks for any sport. I think that, you know, we've seen it in other sports plenty of times where it's like, you know, I think, 
shit happens. People do need to be punished and, and, you know, reprimanded for doing things and cheating. But at the same time, I kind of feel like, well, it happened. Like, let's just keep it moving. Let's just try to make it better next time. And, you know, loosely, I feel like the FIA is trying that right now. Personally, I would like to see repeat offenders get punished based on how frequently they repeat the transaction or the transgression. So if it's a one and done thing for a Red Bull and they never do this again, okay, cool. Slap on the wrist. But let's say AlphaTauri is a habitual line stepper and they do this every year. Then I think the penalty should match the repeat intention of messing up the way that they are in this hypothetical situation because I think that's the only way to solve this. But I am really interested to see how next year's findings go because will we see teams take the hint, so to speak, and be like, you know what, we have to be a lot more financially creative to make sure we stay under the cap or are people just going to be like, oh, Red Bull got a slap on the wrist. We'll get our slap on the wrist this year and then we'll be fine. Like that's always the thing that's most fascinating to me anytime you get this new type of penalty enforced in any sport or any sort of system i think the the other like to agree with that 100 percent. i think the other thing that needs to be considered is like look drivers have points on their records for being assholes on the track and doing dumb shit right there has to be some form of that for these you know uh discretions or whatever you want to call them because uh what what stops them from from just doing it again just because they know they can get away with it and they know the penalty right so there does have to be some form of bigger picture you know kind of planning for anybody that's going to going to take advantage of the rules and i guess if i can have one last thing you guys are i would say above average and i'm being very in a way disrespectful and i don't mean to be that you guys are above average fans if you saw the cost by breakdown and you could see that this definitively shaped red bulls championship season would that weigh differently on your mind as opposed to if this was just administrative costs like oh holy shit we spent one million dollars on taquitos at monaco like it's one of those things (laughs) where if you can tie it back to performance I think you should get punished. If it's admin, I think it shouldn't be as punishable. So this is, this is where Todd and I, although we both love the sport, I think we'll disagree on, on this because I don't think that there is much difference between money that you put into a car and money that you put on a table. Because I say that meaning like if you had the ability to get who is the best driver still alive that you could have in your corner for formula one. If putting the right caviar on the table attracts that driver to your corner, that's more valuable than wind tunnel time, in my opinion. Right. Like, and, and I think that to, to a certain extent, you know, you can't even, you can't even really comprehend the value of that because who knows if it is a million dollars worth of taquitos, like, if it gets fucking, you know, whoever it is, if, if Michael Schumacher comes out of the, you know, comes off the mountain and comes in and gets Mick into the points and, and onto a podium, then does it really matter? Like if they spent it, you know, not to say that, not to like, you know, say that Haas is going to do this, but like if Haas spends $10 million to get 
Michael Schumacher, uh, like a position in the, you know, in the pit somehow connected to the team that all of a sudden bumps up mixed performance. That's no different than, you know, wind tunnel time for, for somebody that doesn't need that. Right. Because that's, that's a, a, such a crucial part in like the development of these drivers too. So I, I think that having the, the, the successful drivers and race engineers on the team who have been through it, you know, and that's also why Red Bull is getting to this point where you have years and years of success kind of building where, you know, everybody else has been bouncing around a lot more, I think. And I think Red Bull has been really consistent. Obviously, Toto and, and Lewis have been together, but like, I don't know. I, I think that there's there's ways that you can spend money not related to performance that actually help performance. Uh, yeah, I, you're right. I disagree with you because the <clears throat> at the end of the day, the driver, the mechanic, the engineer, the strategist, whoever doesn't care if they're eating taquitos in Monaco while everyone else is eating caviar, if they're winning. They're not going to be if, – if they're in a winning team – They'll eat, you know, Cheez-Its instead of escargot. They don't care about that. Like, I guarantee that all of the Williams team would happily eat dog shit for the rest of the season if they're going to go one, two, like on the last two races. Like, literally eat dog shit, too. I'm not even <laughs> I'm not even playing around words there. Like, they would happily, the whole team would just get a spoon and dig in if they could I win. Mean, that's 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 the level of so commitment I, I, to Latifi, huh? Yeah, if they they want to see that silly Nutella loving Canuck on the podium, they better do some kind of black magic like that. But I, there's just no way that the, that a food budget is there. But again, that goes back to the point. It's I don't care how you stack. If you put, you know, if if here's the threshold line, and you put development and logistics and uh, salaries and X, Y, and Z up to the line. And then you put catering above the line. You could easily swap that out with development or whatever. Like you overspend, you overspend. So I don't think that's really has a, a point in the thing. Like, but at the end of the day, if it's a habitual line stepper, they need to at least double whatever that, that previous penalty was. And they need to, and this is the last thing I'll say about the cost cap stuff, The they need to ratify these rules that the financial penalty that is associated with whatever, if it falls under you know a certain category, like not saying procedural breach, but like monetary breach, um, that has to be a hit off of their next year's cost cap because uh, it doesn't matter like... A seven million dollar fine might hurt Haas, might hurt Williams a little bit. Uh, it that's that's like an hour's worth of Red Bull sales for Red yeah, Bull. Exactly. Like they sell seven million dollars worth of cans of Red Bull probably every hour globally. Something it's probably more. It's probably some staggering number. But anyway, uh, the last thing I wanted to touch on. Actually, before I get to that, going back to racing a little bit. Last week in Coda, we saw Lance Stroll 
and Fernando Alonso battling. And then there was a crash. And then there was a penalty. Actually, no, there was no penalty. They sent the car back out um, on track. It came out after the race that the stewards had said that Alonso's car was unsafe to race and shouldn't have been sent out on track. And it's up to the teams to initially decide that. And Haas filed a protest to say, hey, his car wasn't safe to to race. And so they gave him basically what was equivalent to a 30-second penalty. It was like a stop and go plus 10, something like that, Uh, which is typical for what they do for penalties after the race. So like it's like the max, pretty much the max penalty you can have uh, that isn't like a disqualification, whatever. And then it came out that Haas filed the penalty too late. So Alpine protested Haas's protest. <laughs> and then it, whatever long thing transpired, uh, turns out they ended up rejecting Haas's protest and reestablishing Fernando's points from last week. So <laughs> I, I don't know if you guys were aware of that whole saga, but let me know what you think. It doesn't I mean, sound I like a broken just... record. It's just precedence is being set left and right. And that's the dangerous thing about it. If they've yep. shown that this is within the realm of possibility, under their watch, then I wonder now, does this set a chain reaction of other people now saying, can we protest the protest? So I just want to know where is that line being drawn so that way as a habitual line stepper, as I tend to be in most matters in life, I can better understand how I can step above that line. And I'm sure there's a Formula One equivalent of me as well. So that's my thought. I, I think I read that the, the line is actually based on the shape of all tracks combined just layered layered on top of each other in Photoshop. And then they send it to the teams and say, don't do this and wait for people to do it. And then somebody (laughs) says, Oh wait, let's re relayer those differently. I mean, I just think it's ridiculous that, that, you know, I feel like a broken record too. They should just have some consistency, draw the lines. Like it, it makes the sport more enjoyable for everyone when there isn't this like perceived oh they can get away with it and we can't type of thing or they got away with it so we will next time type of things and to me that's applies to all of these things that we've been talking about basically it's like you know to your point about the budget it's like you can move things around and say you spent this over the cap if you just had x amount on the, you know, as this is what you can spend. And, you know, if you go over that, then it's, there's the penalty. I think that becomes much more enjoyable for the fans that, you know, as much as like Netflix has brought like new drama to the sport, all the stuff that happens like this, that we're talking about, doesn't bring anything good to the sport at all, ever. So. Yeah, I, I, it turned out that the the post-race scrutineers actually cleared Alonzo's car. Oh, really? 
what the protest was because yeah, they they they'd cleared it, and then they came back and said like, oh, your team should have said that that's not safe because after the crash happened, which I can't believe the Alpine, which is like like un- unbelievable amounts of fragile, it seems like it breaks down every race as we saw today. Just um, Alonso finished that race. Uh, I must but, say the Esteban did for all of what he perceives to do right or wrong. His his car doesn't break. Yeah, well, I don't know. It's just like his wing mirror was like flopping and that came off on track and that was the whole thing that started the controversy. But they didn't say anything about Max's front tire fender thing that was wiggling like crazy at the end of that last weekend too. But I just – and as I think we'll get to, this is a perfect segue to talk about the Japan controversy. Um. The FIA needs to get their shit together because it's just one thing after another and goes back to what Nick's been saying is like if this if we're talking about more of the off track action and with races like today, that's going to happen. But we had like two like decently interesting races, at least from my perspective in Japan and and, um, Austin. And we were more focused on what took place off track than on track. I don't know. But let's talk about Japan as well. While we're shitting on the FIA, because that's all we're doing this year or this this episode. (laughs) I mean, for what it's worth, uh, before we get into that, Red Bull does sell about $4.2 million worth of of, of Red Bull in the United States every single day. So you're right. It would only take an hour or two if you consider globally. Just quick calculations. My math might be off, but, you know. <laughs> Leroy <laughs> Jenkins. <laughs> That's actually less. Oh, it's not 33.33. Like the Midwest exists. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, he's done it again. So let's, let's talk about Japan quickly, and then we can wrap this up because that was like to me that's the biggest flub that's happened so far in the last few years uh we had like last year with you know marshall's on track and an unsafe thing we had this year with kind of the tractor on in what was it monza when danny rick broke down that was kind of an unsafe ish kind of not really it's clear but like maybe wait until the lap traffic's caught up or whatever to like recover Danny Rick's car. But then in Japan, we had that crash in lap one, which I cannot believe was, regardless of the controversy, I can't believe like Carlos Sainz didn't get speared there. That was so crazy. That Lewis was like inches from his car. But then they send the recovery vehicle on track. I think Gasly caught, it was Latifi actually, that kicked up the the side, side of the race advertisement signboard, whatever, the Rolex sign that caught his front wing that made him go change his front wing. And then he was driving like a bat out of hell to catch up the safety car, which is what he's supposed to do. And then they red flag it right as he's catching this tractor on track and going, I don't know, 160 miles an hour. I can't remember what the figure was. Um, and 
came pretty close to crashing into the back of the tractor, which is kind of insane because that happened in Spa in 2015. Or no, I'm sorry, in, in Suzuka in 2015, Jules Bianchi hit the back of the wrecker and died from that. In like literally the same conditions in 2015, that happened and killed someone. This is just my whole point of this is to say like are is formula 1 going to get to a point where there's been murmurs about this for years now where formula 1 just says fuck the FIA we don't need you anymore we're going to set up our own governing body and we can do it better cuz we know our sport cuz we know the FIA manages uh or is the ruling body of world endurance uh yeah World I know I'm blanking when I'm trying yeah. to list them off. Like, th- there's like a million racing series that the FIA is in charge of governing, and F1 is the pinnacle of motorsport. They're always the the most important piece of the FIA's governance. But it's getting to a point now where there's like so much just embarrassing things happening. Is FIA if the is F1 going to get? sick of it and just say like we're doing this on our own because they pay them i can't even imagine the amount of money that f1 pays to the fia to govern them. oh yeah it's got to be ridiculous what do you guys think i mean it's tough to it's tough to justify you know f1 sticking with the fia considering the all the complaints we've had <laughs> this episode and previously i mean to your point like what what stops them from just you know doing their own thing and you know separating themselves completely from it it seems like it's a big enough machine at this point that they could i i mean this isn't the right comparison but like nascar doesn't need the fia right just go make your money and that's kind of where we're at with it. It seems like, I don't know. No, I think it is exactly where it seems to be, but I guess my question is why would this be the straw that breaks the camel's back? Like why hadn't this sort of defection been broached earlier? Had it been broached what caused it to break down would be my question to you two. There's been so much like that's like a whole episode in itself. Like there's incidents in every season and probably the last decade plus of controversies, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and I guess let me rephrase that question then in a different way. What is the biggest advantage of keeping things at the status quo other than the fact that, oh, yeah, we're maintaining status quo. We don't have to start over, which always is a hidden plus anytime you're contemplating transitioning to something new. There's not really a plus I can see like the, the, the fat fat cats at the top are comfortable. Maybe that's it. Yeah. I, I don't know the I don't know. I'd have to do a little more research on this to give a better educated opinion on it. I think that it's a, I think it's one of those things where there, there's, there's some stuff that's, you know, 
the, the ripple down the, you know, kind of ripple effect of what that would mean is potentially thinking of like, uh, you know, race suits and helmets and, and protective gear and all of this stuff that is, you know, kind of regulated by the FIA might not, I mean, I don't even know how that translates to like the, you know, like your kind of weekend racer type of drivers, but if, if there's a connection there, then there's, you know, obviously side effects that are going to impact things. I, I don't know that F1 needs to even care about that. If they just want to go off and do their own thing, it, you know, seems like they could just do their own thing. Um, it's it's tough because the FIA just seems like to be I think we collectively probably don't you know give them enough credit because there's probably a lot more that we don't see that happens seamlessly in racing that and and specifically in Formula One that they do a good job with but it's just been such a shit show for the past few years that I think that you know it'd be it's just a matter of time kind of to Todd's point. I think it's, it's like, what, what will be the straw? You know, like, it seems like it would almost be, I, I don't want to say guaranteed, but there's, there's the more and more of these headaches that are created, whether it's on the track or off the track, the more problematic it becomes. So, um, yeah, I, I don't, I really, I really can't imagine why they would stick with the FIA unless there are some legal, uh, or, or, you know, regulation type things that, that they have, you know, thinking of like an industry like construction or whatever, right? Like the government doesn't necessarily uh, regulate everything that is required to build a house or build a building or whatever, but they do regulate certain things through other agencies, through private, you know, other private agencies, inspection agencies, and that kind of thing. So there's the rules are always going to be there, but yeah, I, I mean, it would just be a matter of time for, for formula one to just start, do their own thing and say, you know, Hey, we're big enough to do this on our own. Why bother? Mm-hmm. Well, Whatever they do, they need to figure it out because it's, as you pointed out earlier, it's detracting from the sport maintaining its pinnacleness. Whatever, that's not a word. That sounded dirty. Also, pinnacle. I just met uh, the <laughs> Anyway, uh, we can, I think, wrap wrap this up. We can't even do fantasy updates. Maybe we can save it for oh, like no, a I got it updated. Pod. That was part of the No, no, no. I'm saying the the other leagues aren't updating for some reason. I just oh. checked it again. So we could do the we can do the most Let's important do that. one for and sure. And then a high note for some and a very very low note for others. Yeah, I I feel like we did uh mostly just a lot of complaining other than my quick fanboy rant at the uh, beginning of the episode about Danny Rick. Hey, 
We got to give ourselves credit, though. We didn't complain about the 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 TV coverage of this race at all in this episode. So either we're becoming better human beings or the coverage is getting much, much better. Either way, I'm happy to just take credit. (laughs) No, it's cool. They'd only showed the replays during the first four laps when the actual race was close. So I thought that was good. Um, Anyway, let's um, talk about the uh, exhaust notes podcast draft. Um, So sorry, guys. My son just woke up. So Rohit, over to you for the. Oh, just kidding, Rohit. Just oh, good. here. I'll just wrap real quick. Thank you all for rocking with us. Make sure you follow us at Exosnos FM on all the platforms, and uh, follow myself at Nick Ingvall, Todd TEZF1 on Twitter, and Rohit Rohezy on Twitter. And uh, we appreciate y'all rocking with us. Sorry for the abrupt ending, but we'll catch you on the next one. Peace. Will the real FIA please stand up?